Hey, it's Jeff here. After working as an automotive tech for almost 25 years, I can honestly say that finding employment with the right shop has been the difference maker between loving what I do every day or hating my career choice. Let me tell you, I've been there, but I've also had jobs where work didn't really feel like work. I love the challenge of fixing cars. So loving what I do, that's the easy part. Finding a good place to do it in, now that's been the struggle. And that's where my friends at ProMotive knock it out of the park. They're a recruitment company specializing in jobs for our automotive industry. A-techs, B-techs, master techs, service advisors, managers, you name it. They are constantly looking for applicants in automotive to link them with available job postings at only the best vested shops around the country. ProMotive has a team of professional recruiters that can help you with your resume, prep you for the interview process, and negotiate the best pay and benefits package for you. And best of all, it's free to anyone looking to gain employment. Check them out at gopromotive.com slash Jeff. gopromotive.com slash Jeff. Just think, you could be just five minutes away from finding your dream job. I was just getting back to back to back electrical diag. And the advisors had a hard time selling the time on it. But I, I had to fix it. Like, this is just the way my brain is wired. I've got a problem in front of me. I got to fix it. And I fixed it. I fixed all of them. Yeah. But uh, the guy a couple of bays down where all he does is bang out brakes and ball joints and wheel bearings all day, he's getting paid 50% more than I am. gentlemen and welcome back to another exciting thought-provoking episode of the Jada Mechanic Podcast. My name is Jeff and I'd like to thank you for joining me on this journey of reflection and insight into the toils and triumphs of a career in automotive repair. After more than 20 years of skin knuckles and tool debt, I want to share my perspectives and hear other people's thoughts about our industry. So pour yourself a strong coffee or grab a cold Canadian beer and get ready for some great conversation. So what I found with the gloves thing, and this really, I can remember probably five or six years ago, they used to say, oh, we have to provide them for you. Okay, that's fine. We're only going to provide a certain amount (laughs) per day. Because what they would get really mad about is a guy would literally like put them on, he'd have them on for three minutes, and he'd take them off to do a smoke a cigarette or something like that. He'd go get another box or another set of gloves. And they're like, holy crap, he's going through two boxes a month versus the other guy that's going through. And at the end of it, it shouldn't really matter, right? I mean, it's it's PPE, right? It's it's to be provided. Yep. It's important. But I just, it was always like, oh, these gloves. And then you probably saw with COVID, right? As soon as a, I can remember buying boxes of gloves for $7, $8 for a box. Yeah. And now you look at the ones at Princess Auto, that Grease Monkey brand. It's not a terrible glove. They're $18, $19 a box. Yeah. Right. And that's, I think, is so my last employer, uh, he, we ended up getting like these food grade restaurant just <laughs> junk. Yeah. You know, and we're like, like five mil or something like that. Like you could look through them and they wouldn't, they weren't doing anything. It was like, well, why can't we get like the gloves that we used to have? Oh, they're up to $21 a box, like from worth. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but they're good gloves. Like you can actually wear them several hours. And they don't rip off. Yeah. And whereas these other ones, I'd go to pull them on and they'd rip and tear. So cheap shop owners, and cheap management. Um, I don't know. I could have a skin disease because of uh, 
arseholes like you. So <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of to start the conversation off tonight, I'm uh it's beginning to get a real Canadian flair here on the Jaded Mechanic podcast. And I'm talking to so last night I talked to BJ from BJ Motorsports on TikTok and um which that's the second time recording with him. And you know, there's been a few Canadians. I'm speaking with Lee Forget tonight. And uh Lee, say hello. Yeah. Uh yeah, I'm Lee Forget. Um automotive technician by trade. Uh but I've left automotive for mining. Um yeah. yeah. So uh, like what first of all, what kind of mine? Like is it a diamond mine or uh so the the mine I'm at right now is a surface gold mine. Oh cool. Yeah. Okay. And you're up near where exactly? Uh Gogama. So I live in Sudbury, uh, but the mine is in uh, Gogama, which is halfway between Sudbury and Timmins. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Timmins. So for for the Americans that, you know, you're like, well, where the hell is Timmins? <laughs> well, I've never been there, but Shania Twain, which the whole world loves, she's famous for being from Timmins. Yep. Um, and I actually had a good friend when I was uh, very young that was, porcu- was from Porcupine. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, nobody knew, like, I can remember when he moved down here, he's like, I'm like, where the hell is porcupine <laughs> and who calls a town that, but he used yeah. to tell me stories about Timmins and porcupine. And then the farthest I've ever been up that way is I was up to Sudbury when I was in high school for a wrestling tournament. Oh yeah. Um, probably 1991, 92, something like that. And I can remember like driving into the city and I'm like, nothing's growing here. Like, <laughs> yeah. So it's actually changed a lot. They, they put yeah. a lot of lime down to neutralize the, um, the ground and, and now there's, there's trees everywhere. Uh, but we still have the, like Sebri was made from a, a meteor hit the area. So it's a, I mean, you can't see it if you're just looking around, but it's a crater. Uh, but there's lots of hills and, and now that they've, they've fixed, all of the ground, there's just trees everywhere. It's it's really great if you're into snowmobiling and quadding and hunting and, and all that. Yeah. Yeah. So what um how does what was the transition like to go from working like you said earlier we were talking you worked <clears throat> at a dealership? Yeah. So I actually I started uh at, in the independent world. Uh-huh. And uh I had a lot of bosses that really wanted me to do subpar work. Uh, Like for example, one, I think it was a Dakota or something had a leaking uh, fuel neck. Okay. And I told them this thing needs a fuel neck. Like it's, it's leaking. It's no good. Oh, just put some gasket maker on there. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? Like gas will just eat right through that. And now you got gasket maker in your gas tank. Oh, just do it. I'm your boss. All right, so I splooge it full of a gasket maker and uh, let it sit overnight in the shop. And the next day, he brings it over to the gas station across the street. Gas everywhere, all over the ground. Didn't even make it one fill up, right? So just uh, that's just an example. And uh, yeah, I just I kept bouncing shop to shop because they kept wanting me to do these subpar repairs, and I just wasn't into it. So why why do you think some because we all have been through stories like that, or at least if we didn't have to go through it ourselves, you know, we all talk to other people in groups and and sessions and training nights and stuff like that. And they tell stories like that. Why do you think so many shops leak? Like what makes them do that kind of thing? I feel like they're doing it with 
maybe not the customer's best interest, but um, just trying to get it the cheapest for the customer. So like right. the, the cheapest repair is a gas maker, but it's not in their best interest because it's not going to fix it. And it's not even technically a repair. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? to call it a band aid would be excessive. Like it's it's really it's nothing. And yeah, it didn't do anything. Yeah. It's just wasted work. And it's wasted time. And let's say it it did work that time. Well, then you release the vehicle to the customer. He burns a tank, goes to put fuel in it. He's oh man, this thing's leaking again. Mm-hmm. Come on, I just had it at the shop. Yeah. 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 It always, it always frustrated me for stuff like that. And I never understood why, except that what I always felt was like going on is that they were like, well, the customer wants it done as cheap as possible, which, okay. Lots of customers do. I mean, I don't want to pay more for something than I absolutely have to. Yeah. But there really is only one right repair in that situation. Right. And in a lot more situations and probably in this industry, we want to admit there really is only one right repair. Yep. But it's when we, when we, you know, kind of wide note the standards, I guess, a little bit would might be the might polite way of saying it. You know, you can get into people going, well, there's more than one way to skin a cat or there's more one way to, you know, fix a car. But, you know, that kind of thing is like you, if you were driving the truck yourself, you'd probably wouldn't. If you owned it as a shop owner, you probably wouldn't bother with that. Right. Yeah. You would just order the part. So if you've got a customer that won't. Why do you give them the liability of being able to say they couldn't fix it for me by allowing them to dictate such a, you know, shitty repair? Pardon my French. Yeah. I mean, you just, you got to educate the customer, tell them what's going on, why this repair is the right repair. And then ultimately it's up to them to make that decision. Either you go ahead with it or you don't. Maybe they bring it somewhere else. Yeah. So you bounced around at quite a few shops like that. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Oh, geez. I don't know. Four or five shops. Wow. Uh, same story over and over. I did a small stint at Canadian Tire, just like any other Canadian technician. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't yet. I have not yet. <laughs> I joke that when I retire, I might work the parts counter. Just <laughs> yeah. because I could, I could go in and like, fuck, you're not going to need that. Get the hell away from me. Like I could do that. And then I could start there every January. Yeah. And uh, I'd probably get fired by May and I could fish until oh, yeah. November. There you go. And then I could get hired at another one and the cycle would continue, right? Yeah, like, that's a good plan. Um, do you think Sudbury, it was kind of, was it the area that was why the shops were like that or is it just the, the shops? Sudbury has a very widespread income where there's a lot of people that have very low income and a lot of people that have high income, not a lot in the middle. And I, I think those people at the bottom just happened to go to the shops uh, that I worked at. Uh, I do know there are some good shops for sure here, but uh, like I got friends that work at them. Uh, I just, I didn't get that experience. And I'd like to, what was like, I'd like to start this out with, I love the automotive industry, but man, okay. I've had a lot of bad experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what was Canadian tire like? Because I mean, I've never yeah. worked it. Um, I've worked with a couple guys that have worked it in the past. Uh, some tell me different things. Um, some have said they were able to make some money there, but it was a constant fight with the service advisors or the service manager because they weren't always the most experienced in the industry. Right. And then I've had other people that have just said it was the worst tenure they ever did in the industry. So yeah. And what was yours? So in my, in my experience, the guy who broke the most stuff made the most money. 
Wow. Uh, yeah, it's pretty un- unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> Did they just think he was like untouchable or? Yeah, like- I don't know. He just, uh, Canadian Tire takes no responsibility for anything that gets broken. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they just say, oh, it's broken. So you got to pay to fix it. Uh, at least at this branch, when I was there, blah, blah, all that stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, there were some great techs there and they, they moved on to do great stuff. Uh, but yeah, mostly I think it was older getting ready to retire techs that, um, I don't know that they broke a lot of stuff, man. And then yeah. they would just end up getting the customer to pay for it. It was rough. Well, you mean break So like breaking like a panel when they're trying to pull a door panel off to do a window reg or something like that, or yeah, I mean like anything like, or say you're pulling a, a vacuum line off and the, the nipple breaks off. Oh, well, mm-hmm. customer buys a new, uh, a new intake tube or, or whatever. Right. Anything, anything, yeah. uh, say they don't say they're doing, uh, they're pulling apart some drum brakes and they don't back off the adjuster. And they mm-hmm. rip the whole brake assembly part. Ah, uh, needs brakes. Needs all. Needs a kit. Needs the shoes. Needs everything. Needs drums. Even if they're like, obviously not brand new because there was a rust ridge, but like in really yeah. good condition. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's getting all new. Yeah, customer pay. Unfortunately. Uh, Do you think that's the way they were getting paid? Was was pushing for that kind of quality yeah they, it was a um a straight time plus bonus uh pay okay. structure so that probably did have something to do with it mm-hmm. uh there's uh yeah. there's a midas in town here that pays like that and actually so my friend that had worked at a canadian tire he now works there and for him he really likes it because now their straight time hour wage is sucks it's in the toilet it's low but everybody will tell you, well, like I get X amount percentage of parts and I get X amount percentage of, of service sold, like hours at the end of the month. So I do really good. And I'm like, well, is everybody doing really good? They're <laughs> like, uh, well, that guy's not. But I mean, you know, he doesn't hustle the way I do. Okay. You know, because I mean, me, I'm not a hustler. Like I'm not a guy that's just going to go in and try and knock out 20 hours, right? Like I'm. Yeah. I've got a comfortable, consistent pace. I'm older. I hurt a lot. So, you know, I don't want to go in and do 10 sets of tires by lunch, right? Just to, you know, try and, and, and make some upsells. Like, I, I, I can't work like that anymore. Body just won't do it. Yeah, I feel but, you there. Uh, like, in my younger days, I could I could hustle pretty good. But as I get older, uh, I just – it sucks because you, you hold yourself to that level uh, and then you feel bad that you can't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, especially if financially, like if, uh, you know, I don't know how some of these texts do. Cause it's like, as every time I've moved jobs, I've always managed to make more an hour. Right. And the last yeah. little bit has always been straight time. I mean, I haven't been in a dealer in quite a while, probably four or five years now. And, um, I mean, I was in the dealer and I wasn't doing good because none of us were doing good. There was too many texts and not enough work. There was too yeah. many too many techs and advisors that couldn't sell. We had a complete customer base that had been based on the idea that everything on the car was covered. It was oil changes for life. You know, your maintenance was free is what the, in their brain. Yeah. 
So we could, there was no, they didn't want to buy anything. You couldn't sell them a brake service. You couldn't sell them a brake flush. You couldn't sell them a cabin air filter, right? Like it was a real tough thing. So, and then when you've got that many techs and they're fighting and warranty becomes what you're all after, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not long before nobody's making 40 hours a week. And, you know, everybody that says in the industry, flat rate is the answer. Well, flat rate's the answer if you've got more than enough work. But yeah. when you don't, and then you go or you upset the apple cart and you bring one more tech in and you divide all the hours that are coming in by one more and watch everybody's average go down, that's not a fix because the, you just took the morale and kicked it right in the teeth, you know? Yeah, and it can't just be the work. You got to have the right service advisors. You got to have the right mm-hmm. service manager. You got to have the right parts team. It, everything has to be perfect for flat rate to work well. How, when you're at Canadian Tire, I always wanted to ask that. How does the parts thing work? Like, do you guys have to look, did you have to look it up? Or did you just kind of go to the advisor and go, it needs, you know, front rotors, front pads, two front calipers. And, you know, yeah. this is my labor. It was a while ago, but I think I would go to like uh, the parts wicket. And mm-hmm. then uh, I'd tell them what it needs. Um, the year making model. And then we would go through it together. And uh, um, like if there were different grades, I would say, yeah, choose whatever white box rotors, but ceramic pads, blah, 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 whatever. Mm. Yeah. It's what, why put that on the tech to decide which grade apart was going on? Like, was that a situation of, did you, you guys didn't talk to the customer to know, kind of their feeling for budget or what they wanted to do right or did you just look at the car and make the decision yeah i'm so I, after that would happen i'd have the quote and i'd go to the front and then uh, i'd say hey this is what it is this is why i chose these parts and then service advisor would get a hold of the customer and then uh if the customer said could you do it cheaper then he'd come back to me and i'd say yeah okay maybe maybe get cheaper for this or or whatnot or uh no, really, that's as cheap as you can get and still have a quality yeah. repair. Right. And uh, and then at, at that point, it's up to the customer and what they wanted to do. And actually, that the service advisors at Canadian Tire actually never fought back on that, which was uh, pretty good. I haven't had a lot of good experience with service advisors. Uh, <laughs> have, have, you had, had, have you had many good service advisors? I've had... So one, uh, I can say was really, really responsible for my success um, at the one dealers because he he understood that I would like, um, I would get to the bottom of what the problem was in the car. If the car had been in three, four times yeah. and there was obviously by then there was probably something legitimately wrong, uh, but nobody else would, um, he would, he would come to me and say, Hey, I've got a customer, um, you know, and they've been in three or four times. It's made its rounds around the shop. Nobody can seem to figure it out. Can you can you take a look at it? And he'd tell me flat out, and I would tell him. He'd say they're a really good customer. They've got three other cars. They bought three. They'll spend money at the dealer. And I would be like, sure. And I would find the problem, look over the car. And for the most intense, most of the time after that, that became my customer. That customer came in and asked for me to work on their car. So we kind of built up our own client base with that customer. With, with excuse me with that advisor and he was he was fair like i mean if i made a diet call and it was wrong 
he knew I wasn't going to come to him and try and throw a bunch of parts at it to try and fix it. Yeah. It was, I was going to be there that night until eight, nine, ten o'clock at night trying to find where the wire was broken or whatever and fix it. I didn't whine to him because it was, it was like it was our customer. Yeah. But I've also, I had, I had an advisor that like funny Canadian tire, they quoted a rear exhaust manifold on a caravan and um, the customer took it there. They gave him the quote. I think Canadian Tire had tried to add extra time, not faulting them for it because every bolt on the manifold was rotten, rounded right off. Yeah. It wasn't a 3.5 hour re and re anymore. It was like six. And my, the other advisor, he just booked the, the van in. The, the part was already there. I did the manifold job. I clocked out when it was done, paid three and a half. I had six in it. And yeah. I said to him, I said, that's the last time you're ever going to do that to me. Because if you do it to me again, I'm going to reach into your pocket and I'm going to get the money out. And he knew I was serious. Yeah, He knew because we, I'd had a situation where an advisor, I tell this story, um, wrote it up for customers saying signal light flashes really fast on one side. We all know what that is. And he said to me, he said, if it's a bulb, they're not going to replace the bulb. They'll do the bulb themselves. I'm like, but (laughs) you want to know what's wrong? Yeah. He's like, yeah, they need to know what's wrong. Cool. So I open up the, you know, I go back to the tail lamp, pull the two tail lamps off the backside of the caravan, swap them, plug it in, you know, cause you could do that in three minutes and it's, it's a dead bulb. Obviously it's flashing. Yeah. And, uh, so I put the back in, drive it around, close the thing off. He doesn't pay me anything. It's zeroed out. And I went, what's going on there? And he's like, well, I told you if it's just a bulb, they're not going to pay to put the bulb in. I said, that's fine. We didn't put a $15 bulb or whatever it would be charged for them. But I said, I've got half an hour or quarter of an hour clocked. You got to pay me my quarter of an hour. And he didn't want to do it. And I, I pitched a, a stink until he reached into his own wallet, took out like 12 bucks or something and paid me. Yeah. And he, and he bitched and moaned about that. But you know what? If you want to do that for your customer, as an advisor, go ahead and do it. How many times a day would you do it though? Not too long before you'd be, it wouldn't even be worth the doing it, right? Yep. It wouldn't even be worth having a customer here. And people look at that and go, that's a shit attitude. It's not a shit attitude. If the customer can't put the bulb in, can't diagnose the bulb, they bring it to us. They want us to diagnose their problem. They want us to tell them what's wrong. If the, the you know how it is, the macho man says, oh, if it's, you know, or the wife, I'll get my husband to put a bulb in. I just want to know why this thing is flashing. Cool. They still contracted us to tell them what's wrong with the car. We gave them an estimate. We gave them a diag. We proved what it needs. Somebody's going to get charged for that. Somebody has to pay for it. If you want to unapply that, unbill it, whatever, that's cool. But the tech doesn't donate the time for that. Not not ever. Yeah. Not ever. And that's where uh, management has to come in and say, okay, well, Give them, a, give them a quarter hour out of training or out of goodwill yeah. or, or something. And, yeah. and the dealerships or the shop still needs to pay that tech because the tech did the work. Yeah. yeah. And see, I had one manager. He would back he would back us on that. He was very good about, like, if the tech spent the time, the tech came up with the solution, you pay the technician. Yeah. Right. You charge the customer, you pay the technician. Now, some of the advisors hated to any kind of pushback, any kind of conflict if it was like, Oh, it's so simple. I can't charge them for that. It's not so simple or else they would have done it their damn self. Yep. 
So we got to stop in this industry thinking everything is so friggin' simple. When you see the next generation rolling down the road that's motorists, it isn't that simple. And even if it is, they're not interested in doing it themselves. Yeah. They want it done for them, charge them to do it. Yeah. It's not rocket science. It's not, it's nothing personal. It's not ethics. It's not morals, right? If you get, yeah, aggressive with what you're charging. I mean, I'm not saying we should charge an hour. Yeah, it's gotta be fair. To, it's gotta be fair for yeah, everybody. And, but how many times Lee, you've done it too, where you know, you write it up, license plate light doesn't work. And the service advisor says, Oh, it's probably just a bulb. So you get your ticket handed back to you and it's 0.4 for a bulb or whatever. You go in there and it's like the bulb is not dead. You know, there's a broken wire somewhere not feeding the bulb. Now what do you do? We're back together. So we could, in this industry, we could start to say, Hey, every complaint should be treated as an hour, whether it's a headlight bulb, tail lamp bulb, you know, whatever. But everybody goes, loses their mind and go, you can't charge that. Why not? Well, If, if you only got two hours uh, booked into it and you got four lines, so that's four hours. I mean, you can, that's where you got to kind of be fair with the customer. You say, okay, it only took me two hours to get it all figured out. Sure. Mm-hmm. I'll only charge you two. But, but when that, when those keys come across that desk and go into your hand, there's got to be an understanding that you're going to get paid for the work that you're doing. So I don't always fault the the advisor. I mean, you know, I faulted I faulted the advisor when the manager had sent a set a process and a standard down, and they were trying to tweak that to make it easier with their with their interaction with their customer or tweak it to try and sell more work at my expense because I'm not the marketing department, right? You don't you don't get to market your service department off of my charity. Yeah. That's not how this works. So he was pretty good, like, and that's. I felt bad because him and I were, we had a good relationship, but I did it on principle. You know, yeah. that quarter of an hour is worth 10 bucks. I'm going to need that 10 bucks. And, and, you know, it kept our relationship because he didn't do it again after that. You know, I think he just, he knew at that point with me or with a customer that didn't want to pay for a bulb that he probably said, it's probably just a bulb. I have to charge you to check it. You don't want to be charged to check it. We're just going to pretend that you don't have a problem with your signal light then because you don't want us to check it out. And I don't know why shops can't grasp that concept. I mean, I know that they do sometimes, but it's always like they see that and they think, I don't know if they think, well, what's the customer going to say? Or if they think, and the customer, I guess, could go out of there and say, and tell everybody we're so expensive, you know, that we're ripping them off. Ripping them off is when you do something and it doesn't fix the car. Yeah. I'm not of the, if I give a customer $50 to do a mundane task that they don't want to do for themselves and they decide that 50 bucks is ripping them off, who cares what their opinion is? They're not willing to do it themselves. So they're an expert all of a sudden to say that 50 bucks is too much money. Yeah. If, I mean, if they wanted to get free work done, maybe they should have went to a part source or Napa or whatever and asked them to, to do it. And they, they probably would have did it for free, uh, for something that's pretty easy to, to get to. Uh, I mean, you, skilled, you see skilled it. labor costs money. Yeah. I can remember way back my, again, my, my advisor friend, Mike used to tell me they used to do advisors all day long. Somebody would walk up to the parts counter at Canadian tire buy you know, the first snowfall of the season buy 
a new set of wipers. Can you go put them on for me? Yeah. Said every year we would go and then somebody would lean over the windshield, pull the window arm or something like that, crack the windshield. And he said, so we got to where we were buying so many windshields for customers for free uh, wiper installs. So that's where the sign had to go above the parts counter at the Canadian tires. Now that say all wipers come with a 15 or $20 now install fee. Not because that guy's making any money on putting them on, yeah. but it's covering those kind of incidentals that happen. You know, <laughs> I, I wish we could all go back to, you know, where you could just help people out and they'd appreciate it. But the reality is I, I I'm the jaded one for saying it. Most people don't appreciate. They don't, there's no loyalty anymore. You know, um, you might put this set of wiper blades on for them now and put it on for free. And the next time they need a, a wiper blade, they might roll into Mr. Lube because Mr. Lube will put two free ones on when they do their oil change for them. That could be part of the promo. Yeah. Like you may never see that customer back, right? Yeah. On some of the customers that are in the market today. And that's the thing we, we don't talk about is everybody goes, well, my customer, my customer, and my customer. There's a lot of us that operate in this industry that, our customers, sometimes it's a one-time customer. You may never see that customer again. And it isn't because we did anything wrong. They just might be like, you know, they put four, you know, brakes at every corner and four tires on it and a set of struts. And the next time, if the muffler falls off, they get a new car. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they don't, they don't come back to you to fix it. <clears throat> they, they're done. So what, um, you didn't have good experience with advisors. I've had, a lot of okay advisors, but like they all came from different industries and they didn't understand cars at all. And even if you spent 20 minutes kind of just describing something, uh, they would have a really hard time relaying that to the customer. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they would say like the exact opposite of what you just told them. <laughs> like you're, st you're standing there and they're talking to the customer and, and they're saying the exact opposite of what you said. And then, they still need this part. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's tough because a lot of mechanics don't have the, the skills to sell work. Mm -hmm. And a, a lot of service advisors don't have the knowledge to really advise properly. Uh, so what do you do? Um, I, I don't know. I, I've heard some shops where they, where each tech sells their own work. So the, the mm -hmm. technician, and I bet that works great in that shop, but it's probably a small shop and yeah. they don't have a lot of customers or a lot of techs. And they were able to teach those techs how to, how to sell. Uh, but like something like that would never work at a dealership. Not even close. No. Not even close. I mean, I, when I, in my tenure at the dealers, there have been times I've had been on the phone with the customer because I'm trying to get more information about when does the car act up or, you know, if the customer's just got too many questions and they, and they, and I'm standing there next to the advisor waiting to get the okay for the job, right? Yeah. Which is not maybe the best scenario, but it happened. And they say, well, let me talk to the, to, you know, they'll say, well, let me let you talk to my tech here for a minute. He can explain it better than me. I never had a problem with that if the customer was respectful. Yeah. But I've always been like the type that if you're disrespectful, <laughs> and I, I mean, and sometimes you, you know what that's oh, like. Yeah. You can just tell by the condescending tone that they talk to you in that it's, okay, two things can happen here. I'm going to get disrespectful back or I'm going to bow out of the conversation because the person that's going to be getting disrespected will be the advisor, not me, because it's in their job description, unfortunately, <laughs> to deal with the customers, not really so much in mine. 
right? There should be better at it than me. Yep. And, you know, I've seen, <laughs> I saw, I saw a technician and a service advisor at the dealership next door to us that we owned it. It's a Mazda dealer. And there had been an ongoing dispute going on back and forth between an advisor and a tech. And, um, it came to fisticuffs out in the parking lot. Um, and the technician certainly got the better of that advisor. <laughs> now, they both lost their job. Yeah. But I mean, that technician had another job before, you know, without too long. And the advisor, I'm not sure. Because it was a situation of, and it was a toxic thing. Like, it was always like he was whining about not enough time or, you know, unrealistic shave time. I don't know the whole story. And it just, they kept, they kept picking back and forth at one another and management didn't step in and say, okay, he doesn't do your work orders, right? Or whatever might've been the solution. I don't know. I'm not an HR person, but that was the worst I'd ever seen go down between an advisor and a technician. That was the worst. I think the thing I hated most about being a tech, especially in flat rate was me having to come up with a time for each job. Like just to me, just look it up in the book, whatever the book says, that's what it is. If, if there's something like, like that, that, uh, rear manifold job you're talking about where all the nuts were all rotten. Well, yeah, then of course that's going to be over and over and above. Uh, but like, especially working at a dealership, like everything's not that old and usually you're not dealing with something, uh, like that. So just charge mm-hmm. whatever the book says. Why do I have to, why should I have a different time than the guy next to me to the guy next to him to the guy next to him? It, it's not fair to the customer. No. And I don't want to be the jerk that's charging 150% to what the guy a few, a few bays down would. And that's not fair to me that he gets paid more than I do. Yeah. We'd, we'd see that a lot with like, um, you know, four different techs that do the same steering rack in a caravan. And, you know, there was a book time of whatever we could, we all could hit the book time, but it, it just mysteriously seemed to get rounded up every time somebody else got to it to where, so what it should have been a 4.8 wound up being some guys bay, you know, five, four, even six, right. Yeah. Depending on how good the math was. And you're like, <clears throat> how does that happen with that? Right. Yeah. And so, and they, they were pretty good about, keeping that stuff in check. You know, if the the book is 4.8, you can all do it within 4.8. There's no need to round this up. Rounding up became a situation of where like that manifold job when it was pretty rusty. Um, there was, if we had to do a dash pull for instance, and you got in there and found that had an aftermarket remote start system in it. We normally added extra time because the way you would traditionally pull that dash or go in there and pull that harness you had a bunch of things right in your way, right? Uh, yep. All kinds of stuff that, and that, you know, you had to make sure that when you put it back together, that thing worked after the fact. So you had to give yourself some more time. That manifold job was, was the one time that was like, and it was, so I want to say that was probably around 2008 and it was probably like a 98, three, three or three, eight caravan. So it was not a, and it was, so it was an already a really rusted, really old 10 yeah. year old heard if it had been five six years old it wouldn't have been a problem but it was just so old and it, and what what irked me is that obviously at well, whoever had looked at it before 
knew that it was going to require more time. And that's why the customer had not accepted that as an answer. And they had called and we booked it right over the phone without even inspecting it, without even doing it, and then sacrificed the tech. The right thing to do should have been service should have just covered the difference. And, you know. um, Yeah. Or whenever it got in and you seen how bad it was, uh, just kind of pump the brakes and go, all right, like this thing's kind of pretty rotten. This is going to take more than what you charged. That's a slippery slope though, eh? They'll leave because I mean, we've all probably been in situations like that where you go out and you say, uh, I'm going to need more time for this. And how many times did you get pushback saying, all you guys always want more time or all you guys, <laughs> you said, you've seen that, oh, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and I'd, so typically I would, I would take pictures or videos or whatever so I could show and prove like, Hey man, look like this is, <laughs> the this is not going to be done in the amount of time that that book says it would if those those fasteners were the size they were supposed to be. But now I got to go three sizes down and hammer it on and hope mm-hmm. hope it grabs. And if it doesn't grab, and cutting it off. And now I'm extracting a, a head stud. And hopefully I don't go too far and go into the water jacket. Yeah, there's always one shop. Like there's always one tech in every shop though that everybody says. Excuse me. Well, he can get it done in that time frame. <laughs> so obviously it can be done that way. And I, I want to think that maybe more of them were like the guy that you had that broke the most stuff, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, he's the guy that could get it done already. Yeah. So how did you how did you wind up in a dealership situation then? Um I don't remember what shop I was working at, but there was an opening at the local Honda dealer. And uh oh right. I was working at a at a tranny shop. And we had lost our main contract with, um, with a used car dealer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we got a, a contract with CN rail for working on their rail trucks. And I was like, yeah, that is not something I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there was an opening at the local Honda dealer and, uh, I, I was a Honda guy mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah. So I applied and I, I got in basically right away. Uh, and I tried out the dealership life, uh, there. So there it was, uh, it was flat rate with guarantee and the guarantee Mm -hmm. was 40 hours. So basically it's straight time plus bonus, kind of the same thing. Right. And it, it worked out good there, but it was kind of boring. Uh, so at Honda's, it's like, it's all maintenance. Nothing yeah. really breaks. Uh, so it was an all right job, kind of boring. Uh, from there, I'd, I'd moved to Markham uh, and I had worked at a Honda dealer there. And I was doing on the side uh, something called chump car racing. Okay. Uh, so it's uh, you get a $500 car mm-hmm. and you put 10 grand worth of safety into it and you go endurance racing. Right. Yeah. Uh, so super cool. A lot of fun living out that way. Like I'd go to like Bowmanville and, and, and okay. stuff. Right. And that was fun. My, my, the service manager there also raced in jump car. So we got, we got along together really well. I did, uh, all the regular maintenance stuff there, but I also did a lot of the electrical diag and I did anything aftermarket. Nobody else wanted to touch anything aftermarket. And I, 
and I was really good at aftermarket stuff. So I got all that. Um, and that worked out well. Aftermarket upgrades or yeah, like uh, a supercharger or coilovers or whatever turbos. Um, so they didn't really offer that until I, I went there, but once I was there, they, they offered it and, um, yeah, so I got to do some fun stuff along with all the boring maintenance stuff. And like, again, Mm -hmm. Hondas don't really break. So there wasn't, wasn't a whole lot of big work. Um, yeah. So then from there I'd moved back to Sudbury, uh, and I got in at a Volkswagen Audi dealership. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and they break. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're, you know what, after about six months and I got comfortable, I could really figure them out. Uh, like it was, it wasn't, I don't know, like every other, every independent shop in Sudbury will just not touch them. They'll just say, go to the dealer. Uh, and then, so after like six months, I got comfortable. I, I found all the pattern failures and I did, uh, I did all of the 2015 TDI updates on, mm. on every car in Northern Ontario and part of Quebec, except for about five or six. Wow. So that shop was understaffed. Um, but they didn't want to be understaffed, but the problem was they didn't physically have enough room to add more bays, but mm-hmm. they probably could have, I think we had six techs, including myself. We probably could have went to 20 and still been busy. Wow. We couldn't do any upsells because there just wasn't time. Wow. So how, how, how did all those cars come from such far away to get done at that shop? So it's the only Audi dealer in Northern Ontario and the, the only Volkswagen dealer. Yeah. So yeah, that job paid, I think it was nine hours. And the first one I did, the first one, two other guys did took 12 hours. Mm -hmm. One of them just said, screw this. I'm not doing these. (laughs) The other one tried one more time. Lost his ass again. No, I'm not doing it. So after my fourth or fifth one, I got it down to four hours at a pretty leisurely pace. So what, what was involved in that upgrade? Because like, I'm not familiar too well with the TDI thing. I know when the whole diesel gate thing went down or whatever, but what did it actually involve? So it was a, it was a reprogram. Mm -hmm. You change the DPF. uh, You add a second knock sensor. And uh, there's a whole bunch of different brackets and stuff that had to be changed. Most, most of the update though was software. Uh, But in order to change the DPF, uh, like you got dropped a subframe and like, it's a, okay. it's a fairly involved job, but like I said, I got it down to, uh, basically I would just throw everything in a bucket in a five gallon bucket and everything would come back out of the bucket. And I would just, I knew exactly what sockets I, like some of my sockets I modified, right. Just, just like in any other job sure. where, uh, where you do it more than once there. And <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I was perfectly fine in doing that. If, if that was my job for, <laughs> For four or five months, then that, I would have been okay with that. It was, it was good. I, I was, I got it down to a pace where I could still go around the shop and help out other guys with whatever they were doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I didn't mind it. Um, so they just started feeding them all to you. Yeah, you had the other guys said, "No way, don't give me that," and you just went, "Okay, well, lump it on me." Yep. 
Yep, exactly. They they had no interest in doing it. They lost their ass on it a couple times and called it. <laughs> so did, did you find you were starting to make more hours than them, or was it uh, like was it? I guess it was lucrative for you. Or? So I, if I'm really analytical, but I I have a way of blocking it out. So <laughs> when it came to my hours, I didn't look at it at all. I just, right. I just said, whatever I get paid is what I get paid. Otherwise I'm going to spend more time looking at my hours than what it will, that it gets, it gets fixed mm-hmm. and I'll get real angry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I just, I didn't look at my time and I just, whatever I got paid, I got paid. Uh, I didn't want to. No, it, it, and that was at any shop. I worked flat rate. Um, you, you just found a way to make it like you, you learned to live within what you could rely on getting paid. Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah. Cause I, I felt like I would fight for my time more than the time was worth. And the, the anger I would feel was not worth it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't want to be the, the angry guy at the shop. You didn't, you didn't want to be mean. It's it's like I, I for me it's about principle. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's just about principle. It's it's a situation of, you know, you got a guy over there that can 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 do X, Y, and Z, but it, we can't sell X, Y, and Z if the car won't run. So we might be able to get X, Y, and Z sold if we can get this car out in the parking lot to to start. So who do we have in the shop that can get it started? Okay, we got one guy. Yeah. We got six guys that can do X, Y, and Z. Okay, so do you? You can set the shop up two ways. That one guy that can do to get it started, he only does no starts. But if he, what do we do when there's no no starts and he can still do X, Y, and Z just as well as the other guy? Yeah. Do you punish him? Do you make him sit there and wait for what he's good at? And see, I was never about that. I was just like, whatever you want those guys to be able to do, what I can do, I'll try and help them. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like uh, they just did, they were like, they threw their hands up, said, I don't want any part of that. Don't want to do it. Just, I, I can't do that. I can't. And you know, there's things like that with me. Don't ask me to take a transmission apart and put it back together. Don't ask me to, I, yeah, it, I'm not your guy for that. I have zero inches. You could tell me it paid, you know, 30 hours. It's just not my thing. Could I do it? Probably. Uh, yeah. If I did enough of them, but I just have zero interest, right? I have to be interested. So, when I would see those guys and you know, they would, they would do X, Y, and Z all the time. And I didn't get to do that. And they, they just slaughter me for hours at the end of the week because I got handed one nightmare diag after another and I got through them, but they'd hit 60 and I'd be hitting 40, you know? And they're like, well, 40 is, you know, a hundred percent efficiency. 40 is good. Now I normally had to be there Monday to Saturday to get 40. You know, and Saturday was normally my best day because I didn't maybe have a diag. So I could go be just a regular mechanic on Saturday and, you know, make some hours, try and round that paycheck up. So that's where it, I wasn't like you because I kept looking at it and going, I'm just as smart as them. Why are they getting paid more than me? You might even argue I'm smarter than them. Why are they getting paid more than me? And that's where my principles kind of, got me the reputation that it got, you know? So 
I understand it though. I understand like if I was wired where I could do what you did, I probably would have, I'd still be at some jobs, <clears throat> you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I really felt that way at, at the Ford dealer I was at, um, at the mm-hmm. last shop where I was just getting back to back to back electrical diag and the advisors had a hard time selling the time on it, but I, I had to fix it. Like this is just the way my brain is wired. I've got a problem in front of me. I got to fix it. And I fixed it. I fixed all of them. Yeah. But, uh, the guy a couple of bays down where all he does is bang out brakes and ball joints and wheel bearings all day. He's getting paid 50% more than I am. So mm-hmm. why is the guy doing basic work getting paid more than the guy that's doing maybe not hard on your body work, but hard on your mind work. Yeah. Stressful. Yeah. Yeah. He's going, you're going home with the kind of jobs that keep you awake in the middle of the night. You wake up and you know, you grab the, I was just talking to a friend the other night there and we're like, did you ever fix a car in the middle of the night? And I'm like, Oh, I fixed hundreds oh, of cars yeah. in the middle of the night. You know, I'd wake up, I'd reach over on the nightstand I'd grab the wiring diagram, flick the light on, you know, and you, all of a sudden you'd stare at it and it'd come to you and it's like, Oh, you jackass. You didn't check that. Did you? Yeah. Oh, there it is. Right. And you'd go back to work the next day. And more often than not, you had the epiphany and you fixed the car. Yeah. Whereas the guy that's just doing, you know, ball joints and brakes all day, he goes home, sleeps on a big mattress of money. He don't <laughs> stress about nothing. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's, it's two, two different animals. You know, it really is. It's like an industry within the industry. Um, so, at Ford, were you were you fighting the warranty thing a lot? Like, how was that to get paid for your electrical diet? Yeah, Ford warranty is really bad. I've never seen. So, if you want to see people who hate the brand they work for, mm. look at some Ford Facebook groups, Ford <laughs> technician <laughs> Facebook groups. Yeah. Man, do they hate the brand! And the problem isn't the vehicles. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, some people might have other opinions, but. Uh, the, the problem is the way they pay for, um, for warranty is just so bad. Uh, yeah. like you, you might get 50% of what you put into it if you're lucky. That's not acceptable. Yeah. Not doing that. I, and I see some of the guys like on, on social media, YouTube and TikTok that are, that are Ford techs and they don't, sometimes they talk about, there was a guy that just. Oh, I think his what the heck was his name? A Rod or something like that. Power Strokes with A Rod or something. And he just quit the dealer after like twenty four years. Just got terminated from the dealership and left, going out on his own. And I, I'm, I saw his video. He posted about it, and it wasn't so much like you always see them, and when they're making their content, they're not running the brand down. But you can just—they're not also talking about like how bad they're getting screwed on some of these jobs. Like I understand after you do enough of the phasers and the water pumps and whatnot, and you know, some of them, you get the cab off in 45 minutes. Right. And then you're just laughing yeah, because you're banging that job out in a ton of time. But then next month they'll shave the time down. Yep. Cause they figured out that you're pulling the cabs on them and you're doing it faster. And then what used to be really good is not good anymore. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Ford is really bad for that. The, the first time I heard that actually was, uh, was not when it was before I started working at Honda, but it was, it was at Honda where for the phasers on the, um, two liters and 2.4 liters, they were paying you to pull the full, uh, timing cover off. 
and it was mm-hmm. like a, I don't know, eight hour job, 10 hour job, whatever. And then an aftermarket company called Skunk 2 was putting out camshafts for these engines. And they said, oh, you just got to put a bungee cord on the timing chain, run it to the hood, zap the old, zap the phaser off, blah, blah, bing, bang, you're done. You don't have to take the cover off. Suddenly Honda drops it from whatever it was, eight or 12 hours down to two hours. Yeah. <laughs> and is that, is that fair? I, I guess in this case, you could say it is, it is fair. It still sucks mm-hmm. though. Yeah. Uh, were you guys already before the, before the aftermarket released that lovely, you know, bit of information, were you guys already cheating and doing it that way? Yeah. 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 It sucks. Doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Like in that case, I, I guess it is fair that they dropped it, but, uh, like say a Volkswagen was really fair, like for doing those TD up- updates, they, they knew I was only putting four hours into it, but they, they mm-hmm. never changed the time on it, at least not while I was there and they never, uh, charged me back. Uh, but I had like a pile of sockets that were all custom length and whatnot to get it done in, in that amount of time. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, Chrysler, I never saw, like I saw dash jobs eventually get cut in time because they figured out that like you didn't have to take all those panels off, right? You undid like the, the brackets on the side, you pulled it back, you, you ran the, you know, bungee cord around it, tied it to the steering wheel, snuck your heater box at the passenger side, did your evap or your heater core and put it back in. Yeah. But I mean, like I wasn't doing a ton of those jobs. Like I didn't, that wasn't my, they didn't give those to me. <laughs> um, I was always in the middle of something else. So, but I did remember like the old LH cars, you know, it used to be, 12 hours or something like that to do an evap and guys got them down to where they're doing them in two hours. And then of course, you know, guys go to training back when training wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't, you know, remote, it was done in the classroom and they'd all sit around and talk and say, Hey, well, this is how I do this. And this is how I do that. And sure enough, the guy listening to the class, he goes back to headquarters and tells them, well, they're doing them, you know, and then all of a sudden you'd see the the time cut so yeah everyone wants to look like the the hero with the best uh time save but unfortunately when you're giving it away at hq uh, yeah doesn't doesn't yeah, help anybody no i mean and, and it's one thing to sit there and talk shop at those training events because i mean that's half some of the time that's the only good part about going to them is and especially on the oe side is is talking to different guys from that are on the product but in different parts of the province and hearing what they're seeing a bunch of yeah you know, I can remember I went to a training class for in Toronto for Chrysler on Sprinter vans, and we hardly had any Sprinters where I was in Kingston. We might have had five vans in the whole city. They had like five thousand by then in Toronto. Yeah. So they literally had these texts that that's all they did was work on Sprinters. So they were seeing stuff um, faster than even like headquarters was knowing it was going to break down. They're like, oh yeah, we're doing a pile of this and a pile of that. And it was like, that was great. You'd come away, but he'd tell you, oh yeah, like I do, I do glow plugs in them in 45 minutes. And I'm thinking, good <laughs> God, man. Like, you know, I watched the guy do all day and it, cause you know, they would break off and they were yeah. seized in there. He's like, nope, this is how you do it. Bang, bang, bang. So I just, you know, if you're, if you're going to training and, and you, you got secrets, you know, wait to go on lunch and share your secrets, guys. Don't, <laughs> don't share it in front of the teacher. Yeah. 
they'll rat you out. What, um, how did the mind thing come across then for you? Yeah. So I, I grew up in a very poor family, which kind of set me off, um, kind of behind everyone. And for most of my career, I wasn't able to get away to, um, to training, to do the schooling, to get my red seal. Uh, when I was with Honda, I went through the Honda program and, uh, it was all paid. So it was, it was a little easier, but I had to, uh, still go to Markham. So I had to find somewhere to live and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And when I got back to Sudbury and I was working at Volkswagen and I got licensed, um, I didn't feel any kind of like pride. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm the same guy I was yesterday. But now I'm worth more. Like, why am I worth twice as much now than I was yesterday? I was doing all the same work at the same quality that I've been doing for the last 15 years. Uh, and I just, I didn't feel any pride about it. And I, I could, I could feel the damage it was doing my body, my hands specifically, where I would lose. Like, I didn't have the strength I used to have in my hands. <clears throat> so my buddy worked at, uh, out of mine called uh, Detour Gold, mm-hmm. and he was in the in the warehouse on the parts department, and we're looking at our paychecks, and they're close. He didn't quite make the same, but they're close. And I said, "Well, I heard with Tormont, like there's a lot of room to move up, so maybe maybe this is my avenue. I'll get in in the warehouse and, and see what happens." So it was a two week rotation. So you do two weeks there, two weeks home. I would do uh, two weeks in the parts department warehouse at Detour Gold, come home, have a few days off. I'd work a week at Volkswagen, a few days off, and then go back up to the mine. Uh, Because Volkswagen didn't want to let me go. So they would actually, stuff that was like a hard electrical diag. They would just park at the back of the lot, and I would fix it whenever I got back. <laughs> so it could sit there, hypothetically, two weeks until you returned. Yeah, two, three weeks until I got back, and then, uh, and then I would fix it. Wow, that's a great dealership. But like the customers didn't have a choice because nobody else wanted to work on it anywhere in sight uh, in town, and uh, so what are they going to do? So they mm-hmm. would just leave it there till I came back, and being out a bunch of work, and then. That's pressure on you though, right? Because I mean, it's like, you got to look at that and go, well, I'm only here for a week maybe. And then I'm gone back to the mine. So I've got to figure out this car. Plus I'm sure as soon as Monday rolls up, you walk in, they're like, oh, Lee, thank (laughs) God you're here. We got this, we got this, we got this, we got this. How's it going at the mine? And you're like, well, you know, I'm making more money at the mine than (laughs) I'm here. Dirty. Like, yeah. Uh, so, so when you went to the mine, you just worked in the warehouse. You didn't even work on the equipment. No, uh, I was just in the warehouse doing parts. <clears throat> and then, uh, where I, where I could, I showed additional skills, uh, with computer stuff. And, um, mm-hmm. I would write scripts to get jobs done, uh, quicker for like, uh, same machine was in for, for maintenance. Uh, there'd right. be a whole pile of stuff in the, in the warehouse marked for that unit. But often all that stuff didn't end up out in the shop 
and then a lot of work got missed. So I wrote a script that went through the database, pulled everything that's stored for, for that unit, gave, gave you the, the whole list. And then you, okay, yeah, it needs, it needs all this stuff. And then work started getting done on time when it was supposed to happen. Um, so like just different things like that. And, uh, there was a product support manager there that, that took notice and, uh, he talked to his old boss and got me into a fleet analyst position, uh, oh. for Tormod at, at Baffinland Iron Mines. Uh, okay. so Baffinland is so far North that you don't see the Northern lights. <laughs> wow. So you would fly out of Montreal six hours. Uh, you would land in a Calouet and then fly another two hours uh, <laughs> uh, north. Yeah. So that place is is really beautiful in the summer. Yeah. I can imagine. Really, really cold in the winter. The, the summer is about four weeks. That's <laughs> mm-hmm. short. I mean, I've never been up that far up. So, I mean, and and I can say this, like if I was leaving the mine, and flying back into Montreal, I probably wouldn't leave Montreal. I'd probably just stay because I mean I've spent I've spent enough time in Montreal. I loved Montreal, loved it. It's a fantastic city, and it'd be hard to press in the summertime if I landed in Montreal to want to go anywhere but in Montreal in the summertime. <laughs> it's a beautiful place. But hey, if you could do me a favor, real quick, and like, comment on, and share this episode, I'd really appreciate it. And please. Most importantly, set the podcast to automatically download every Tuesday morning. As always, I'd like to thank our amazing guests for their perspectives and expertise. And I hope that you'll please join us again next week on this journey of change. Thank you to my partners in the ASA group and to the Change in the Industry podcast. Remember what I always say, in this industry, you get what you pay for. Here's hoping everyone finds their missing 10 millimeter, and we'll see you all again next time. <laughs>